but also with your spirit. You'd help me to say the things you'd have me to say. And Lord, you'd help me to pastor these people, to help them grow, and to help all of us to learn, Father, that when we leave here tonight, we would know that we've heard from your word. Father, we love you. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Exodus chapter number 30, and we've been preaching through the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And Exodus chapter 30, we're not going to deal with the entire chapter tonight, just a small part of it. And the reason for it is because we've actually already covered most of the chapter in a previous sermon. If you remember, uh, a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on the subject of the furniture of the tabernacle. And we went through all the furniture of the tabernacle and explained all those things and went through it. Well, if you look at uh, uh, Exodus chapter chapter number 30, if you look at verses 1 through 10, those cover the incense altar, which we uh, dealt with back in that sermon a few weeks ago. If you look at verses 17 through 21, those deal with the labor, which we also preached on back in that sermon. And that sermon's on the internet, you can listen to it if you like, or we'll get you a CD if you need that. But we kind of dealt with those already, so I'm not going to reopen those up again. If you look at verses 28 through 38, the last part of the chapter, it deals with giving you pretty much a recipe and instructions for making the anointing oil and making a perfume that would be used in the tabernacle. And uh, you say, well, I'm going to make that perfume there. Well, I wouldn't do it if I was you. If you look at verse 37, it says, And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition uh, thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. So God said, look, I'm telling you how to make this, but this is for the Lord, so I don't want you making it for yourself. Uh, look at verse 38. It says, Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off uh, from his people. So that's not good news there. So most of the chapter deals with a few things, but I, I'm going to focus in on just a few verses. And I, wanna, I want you to look down at verse number 11. Verses number 11 through 16 tonight uh, deal with, I believe, a picture of salvation. And the Bible here and this passage pictures for us uh, a few things. And uh, look at verse number, uh, let's see, uh, verse number 11 real quickly. Exodus chapter number 30, and look at verse number 11 and 12. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, and you say, why are they going to give a ransom for their soul? Why are they going to do this? Look at the last part of that, uh, after the semicolon there. It says that there be no plague among them when thou numberest them. See, all throughout the Bible, and I ask you to keep your finger there. In, uh, in, well, let me point out a couple things for you. First of all, look at verse 12. You see how it says, when thou takest the sum of the children of Israel. That's talking about numbering the children of Israel, or taking a number, like, like in America, we take a census every 10 years, and we number the amount of people that live here. He says, when you take a sum, and that, by the way, that's a big subject. I don't know if you ever noticed it, but there's a book in the Bible called the Book of Numbers, and the reason that book is called the Book of Numbers is because that's when they went through and, and took a sum or a census of the children of Israel and God explains to them here, He says, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their numbers, they shall, uh, they shall give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord, when thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them. So, number one, this passage pictures for us our sin. See, plagues in the Bible always 
illustrate or always equal sin, often in the scriptures, plagues represent sin. Keep your finger there in Exodus and go real quickly with me to Leviticus chapter number 26. Leviticus chapter number 26 in your uh, Old Testament there. Leviticus chapter number 26. Look at verse number 21. Leviticus chapter number 26 and verse 21. The Bible says, And if ye walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me. I'll wait for you to get there. I want you to see this. Leviticus chapter number 26, verse 21. Leviticus 26, 21. It says, And if ye walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me. Look what he says. I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your what? Sin. So see, there's always a connection between sin and plagues in the Bible. And he says, if you walk contrary, if you disobey me, if you go against me, he says, I'm going to bring plagues upon you according to your sin. Now, uh, go with me real quickly to First Chronicles. First Chronicles, chapter number 21. You're there in, uh, I forget where you're at, you're in Leviticus. So go Ex- Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, uh, Ruth, First in 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and then you've got the books of 1st Chronicles, and let's see, where do I want you to go? 1st Chronicles chapter number 21, look at verse number 17. 1st Chronicles 21, look at verse 17. Now, 1st Chronicles 21 is a passage, a story in the Bible that I never really understood till I understood the book of Numbers, and I understood the passage we're in in Exodus. In, in the book of 1st Chronicles chapter 21, we find the story of King David, and he gets this idea to take a census or to number the people. And the Bible says that God sends the angel of the Lord and he begins to destroy the people and kill the people. And he was told not to do it. He was advised not to do it, but he went ahead and did it anyway. Now, you and I may read that and think, well, what's God's problem? He's just numbering the people and he's destroying them. Well, the problem is that all the way back in Exodus, all the way back in the time of Moses, God told Moses, he says, whenever you number the people, unless you give a certain offering, I'm going to send a plague with it. And David said, well, I don't care what God says, I'm just going to number the people anyway. And he sends a plague with it. And there's a connection there. So see, that'll help you understand that in your Bible reading. Are you there in 1 Chronicles 21? Look at verse number 17. The, King David said, And David said unto God, is, is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? So you see, he says, Look, I'm the one that gave the commandment to be numbered. Even I, uh, even I it is, that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on thy people, that they should be plague. Do you see that? So there's always a connection between sin and plague. And David says, look, I say, and by the way, that's a good leader. That's a good leader right there that would say, hey God, don't punish everyone else for my sin. He said, I'm the one that sinned. Just punish me. That's, I, that, you know, that's the kind of character that David had. Go real quickly with me to the book of Revelation. Last book in the Bible. Revelation. Last book in the New Testament. Should be fairly easy to find. Revelation chapter number 18. Look at verse number 4 real quickly. Revelation chapter number 18. And look at verse 4, Revelation 18.4, the Bible says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her 
plagues. Do you see that? See, in the Bible, there's always a connection between sin and between plagues. See, this passage here uh, illustrates for us, or pictures for us, the idea of our sin because of the mentioning of the plagues. Now, I want you to understand something. Go real quickly with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then you've got the book of 1 Corinthians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then you've got the books of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, because here's what you got to understand, okay? God equates sin to a plague, but here's the thing with the plague. Sin is like a spreading plague. Do you understand that? Just like a plague, or just like leprosy, or just like any other type of plague would come upon these people, and it would spread amongst the people. All uh, not One person would start being sick, or one person would start with the disease, but then lots of people would be, uh, uh, would then be, uh, uh, would gather that, that plague there. In the same way, God illustrates for us that sin is like a spreading plague. And if you allow a little bit of sin to rule in your life, it will eventually plague your entire life. Are you there in 1 Corinthians? Look at, um, look at verse number 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse number 6 real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. and verse 6 the Bible says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking and he's dealing with the church at Corinth and they've got sin in their church. And notice what he says. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, he says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that, look what he says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now leaven is another picture of sin. And uh, I'm not sure, I'm not 100% sure what leaven is. My wife would probably be able to explain to you. But, but leaven is what makes the bread rise. Is that right? Leaven is like yeast. It makes the bread rise. But, but you know, the, the interesting thing about yeast or leaven is that it grows. You know, you can have a little bit and take from it all the time and it will just continue to grow within itself. And the Bible says here, Paul said, your glowing is not good. He said, know you not that a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump? Say, well, what do we do? If we allow a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. He said, what's the answer? What can we do before the whole lump gets leavened? Look at verse 7. He says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven. That word purge there, it means to clean out. It means to remove. It means to get rid of. He says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Look what he says. That ye may be a new lump. As ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And by the way, the analogy there is that we take unleavened bread at the Passover that represents Jesus Christ. Because we are, like the passage says, supposed to be unleavened. Go real quickly to John, real quickly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. See, that's why Verity Baptist Church is different than probably any other church you've ever been to. Because at Verity Baptist, you say, why do you guys preach, why do you preach the way you do? And why do you talk about sin? And why do you talk about this? And why do you talk about that? And why don't you just let people do what they want? Here's what you understand. Because a little leaven, leaven at the whole lot. Sometimes we have to deal with sin. And sometimes we have to deal with problems. And something, look, the fact that we deal with problems at Verity Baptist Church, I to tell you that we love you. Because the fact that we don't want to allow, we could, we could look a, a blind eye and say, well, that's just a little leaven. Yeah, but we understand that a little leaven in your life will end up destroying your entire life. People say, well, I'm just going to be a social drinker. Well, tell that to the drug addict who started being a social drinker when they were 12 years old. Amen. See, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. And I'm not against the drug addict, and I'm not against the drug... I love the drug addict, I love the drunkard, I want to help that person, I want to love that person, but the way we love that person is we attack the little leaven. Amen. See, you allow a little leaven into Verity Baptist Church, and before you know it, the whole lump will be destroyed. 
That's why we can't allow gossip at Verity Baptist Church. You say, well, it's just a little bit of gossip. Yeah, but one person is doing a little bit of gossip, and then the whole church is doing a little bit of gossip. That's why we can't allow criticism. That's why, you know, you used to be, well, uh, the pastor this, the pastor that, the word of God this, the word of God that. Hey, look, a little criticism, a little living, living the whole one. I've been to churches where the entire church is just one big click. There's a click here, there's a click there, there's a pastor's wife's click, and there's a pastor's click. I've literally been to churches where there's a pastor's click and the pastor's wife's click. There's a deacon's click, and there's a Sunday school click, and there's this lady's click, and that lady's Look, I will, I will close, I will burn this building down before I allow Verity Baptist Church to become a place where people click with each other. Well, we go out to eat, and it's just our four and no more, and, and this little group here, and this little group, let me tell you something. Striving together for the faith of the gospel is a concept around here, and everybody's welcome, everybody's loved, everybody can join together, but let me tell you something, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lot. You say, well, you're, 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 you're making a big deal about nothing. No, we're making a big deal about something big because you allow a little sin in your life. And before you know it, you're out of church. Before you know it, you're divorced. Before you know it, you're a drunkard. Before you know it, you say, what happened? You allowed a little sin. It's a spreading plague. Are you there in John chapter 15? Look at verse 1. In John chapter 15, verse 1, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Now here's the interesting thing. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, look. The bad branch that doesn't do anything, never brings anyone to church, never preaches the gospel to anybody, never lifts a finger to go soul winning, never lifts a finger to preach the gospel to anybody. God says, I don't have any time for you, you're worthless. Just get rid of that branch. But notice what he says. He says, but every branch that beareth fruit, he purges. You say, Pastor, I just, I feel like ever since I started coming to church, you know, I, I just, all I, all I hear is what I'm doing wrong in this area, and what I'm doing wrong in this area, and what I'm doing wrong in this area. See, what God's trying to do, my friend, is purge the sin out of your life, because He says, the cleaner you are, the more fruit I can bear through you. He says, every branch that bears fruit, He purges it. Why does He purge it? Because He doesn't like you? Why does He purge it? Because He wants to offend you? Why does He purge it? Because He wants to discourage you? No. He purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Let me tell you something. Sometimes you've got to have a little purging in your life. Sometimes you've got to get rid of some sin in your life. Why? You know, some people say, yeah, yeah, uh, there was, there's been times in, in, in people's life where they say, man, I was, I, I, was, uh, I, I was getting people saved and I was in my Bible and I was praying and I was doing that and man, I was just doing a lot for God but now I feel like, like the relationship with God has just gotten a little hole. Well, maybe God wants you to get a little sin out of here. See, the, the idea there of a vine, it's just like if you ever had a rose bush. You allow a rose bush to develop a lot of thorns, and you allow a rose bush to develop a lot of leaves, and you're not going to develop a lot of roses. And what you do, my, my in-laws have these beautiful rose bushes they, they, they planted in their backyard. And we went there, you know, they plant them, they look real nice, and we went there in the next season or whatever, and my father-in-law had gone back there. And I mean, I, if, if you would ask me, I would have thought, he just killed those things. I mean, he, they, they looked like just bare branches. And I said, what, what are you doing? He said, I, he said, I have to go through and I have to purge it. So that the next season, it could bring more fruit. Let me tell you something. In your life, God may purge sin out of your life. You say, why? Because he doesn't like me? Because he wants you to bear more fruit. Hey, at our church, God may purge. People may need to leave. People may need to go. Bad attitudes need to go. You know, a, a critical spirit and a critical heart. And all those things. Because the more sin you allow in your life. Look, I'm not interested in being a social club. Do you understand that? I was in a social club. It's called the United States Air Force. <laughs> I don't need that. I can go join the Elks club, and the moose and lodge, and the this and the that, 
And the KKK, I mean, I don't know if they're happy, but I can go join them. I can join all sorts of clubs. I'm not trying to join a club, my friend. I'm trying to preach the gospel. I'm trying to get people saved. I'm trying to be used of God. But it will never happen if we allow a little leaven to leaven the world. Amen, Pastor. See, this a plague is a spreading, a spreading plague. Go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 30. This passage pictures our sin. Number two, this passage pictures the Savior. Look at verse 12 again. Verse 12, chapter 30. And when thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man, look what he says, a ransom for his soul. Do you see that? That word ransom there means something paid or demanded for uh, or took the place of so that something else could be given freedom from captivity. The Bible says that these people were under sin. They were going to be under a plague because of the numbering, because of the census. But God made a way and He said, if you just do this one thing, He said, that will allow, notice, every man, not certain men, every man a ransom or a scapegoat for his soul. Go real quickly to uh, keep your finger there in Exodus 30. Go to, uh, let's see, what I want you. First uh, Timothy. First Timothy, real quickly. First Timothy in the New Testament. If you can find those T books, first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy and Titus. Uh, they're all together there. First Timothy, chapter number two. Say, Pastor, when are you going to stop saying that? I hope I never have to stop saying that. I hope we always have new Christians and young Christians around here that need to learn how to go through their Bible. It helped you when you didn't know where you were going. First Timothy chapter number two. Look at verse five real quickly. First Timothy chapter number two. Uh, look at verse number five. First Timothy chapter two and verse five. The Bible says, "For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a what's that say? Ransom for all to be testified in due time." See. Jesus Christ is our ransom. What that means is, He has taken our place. He is that scapegoat. You heard the terminology scapegoat. The book of Leviticus talks about it, but it's used in our society today. A scapegoat is someone who takes the blame, even though he didn't do it. And Jesus Christ is our ransom. He took our place. He took our punishment. You there in First uh, Second uh, Timothy or First Timothy, wherever you are. Go, go towards Titus. It's the last of those T books. Titus. Um, and here's what you gotta understand: Jesus is the ransom. He took our place. And by the way, that's salvation. When we, when you think of Jesus on that cross, you've got to understand that should have been you and I on that cross. It should have been you and I in hell. It should have been you. Salvation is not because you're a good person or you live a good life or you look nice or you do anything good. Salvation is because He took your punishment. He took your uh, uh, sin on the cross. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we may have the righteousness of God. He became our sin. Are you there? You're there in First uh, uh, Timothy? Or Titus? Look at verse 3. Chapter 3, look at verse 3. Titus chapter 3, look at verse 3. And by the way, if you understand that Jesus Christ is a ransom for our sins, you'll understand that work salvation doesn't work. Are you there in Titus 3, 3? Look what it says. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, 
serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's what you, the Bible says that's what you used to be. Some of you need to make sure that's what you used to be. Look at verse 4. But after that, what happened after that? The kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Amen. Hey, praise God. You were condemned. You were worthless. You were a sinner. And by the way, let me tell you, 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 you know, people talk about that. Uh, Pastor, I just, I, I deal with, with depression because I just think so little of myself. Why do you think, why do you do that? I don't think little of you. He thought you were important enough to send his son down to die for you. By the way, if you were the only one that needed salvation, he would have sent his son down to die for you. Hey, he loves you. He thinks you're great. Why don't you quit looking at yourself the way you want to see yourself and look at yourself the way God sees you. Amen, Pastor. But after that, look at verse 4, that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Number 5, because of my church attendance. Is that what it says? Because of the fact that I got baptized. Is that what it says? Because I went to the confessional booth. Is that what it says? Because I touched Sunday school. Is that what it says? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now let me tell you something. Every church in America today will tell you, oh yeah, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Oh yeah, Jesus, you know, He, he, had, to, he had to bleed for our sins and He had to die for our sins. And he had to do this for our sins. But if they tell you you've got to live a good life to go to heaven, if they tell you you've got to repent of your sins to go to heaven, if they tell you you've got to do anything to go to heaven, let me tell you something. They don't understand that He is a ransom. Amen. The Bible doesn't say He paid. He made the down payment and we got to come up with the rest. That's not what it says. It says He paid it all. Amen. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Not me. He did it. Amen. This passage teaches us I said, number one, the passage is a picture of our sin. Number two, the passage is a picture of our Savior. Number three, go back to Exodus 30. Exodus chapter 30, look at verse number 14. Exodus chapter 30, and look, look at verse number 14. It pictures our sin, it pictures our Savior. But number three, it also pictures our sinful state. It pictures our sinful state. Look at verse 14. Very interesting verse. Everyone that passeth among them, that are numbered from 20 years old and above, shall give an offering unto the Lord. Do you see that? It says if you were 20 years old and, and lower, you were to give an offering. Now here's what the interesting is. In, 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 in the Bible times, you weren't, an, you weren't considered an adult or you weren't considered accountable for your actions until you were 20 years old. In our society today, you know, it's 18, whatever. Our society is so confused. At 18, you can go die for your country, but you can't, you know, go get a beer or something. And I'm not advocating getting a beer, but I'm just saying, if, you, if at 18 you're an adult, then why aren't you an adult? You know, whatever. And, I'm, and trust me, I'm not advocating getting a beer. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm just saying our, our society doesn't understand what it's doing. But in the Bible, you were 20, you were of age with your man to go to war, you're accountable for your actions. At 20 years old, if you were numbered, you had to give an offering. What that means is if you were less than 20 years old, you didn't have to give an offering. Here's why. God wasn't going to punish those who did not have control over society. Does that make sense? If they were children, 20 years old and, and, old and less, 
or 19 years old and less, if they were considered children, then they weren't uh, uh, going to give an account for those sins. They didn't have to uh, give, uh, give the offering. But if they were accountable for their own, if they, had, uh, if they were of the age of accountability, then they had to make sure they had that ransom for their plague. What that teaches us, there is an age of accountability for the plague. Go, go real quickly to Romans chapter 7. In the same way, there's an age of accountability for salvation. Now, I'm not saying that that age for salvation accountability is 20 years old. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this passage pictures for us the fact that there is a sinful state, the fact that there is an age of accountability, the fact that there is a time. And you say, Pastor, why do you make a big deal about this? Because some people teach today that if a baby dies, they go to hell. Let me tell you, that is wicked. That is so wrong. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. In fact, the Bible teaches against it. Let me show you. Romans chapter number 7. Look at verse 9. Romans chapter 7 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul said, For I was alive without, law, without the law once. You see that? Now here's the thing. Today people teach that when, when you're born, you're born physically alive, and your soul is alive, but your spirit is dead. That's incorrect theology. The Bible doesn't say that you're born with a dead spirit. Paul said here, For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. What's that talking about? This is what I believe it's talking about. I believe that children are born, and there's a time when children are born, and they don't understand the law. They don't understand commandments. They don't understand the difference between good or bad. Try to explain to my four-month-old daughter why she should or shouldn't get up at five in the morning to feed. (laughs) She's going to look at you and smile. Bless God. I only have good babies, by the way. (laughs) She's going to look at you and laugh. Why? Because she doesn't understand. Now, now you better believe that my four-year-old understands. You you can wake mommy up all you want, but you better not wake daddy up. (laughs) Five in the morning. No, no, he sleeps at night. That's good. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's an age of accountability. And Paul says, I was alive without sin once, without the law once, but when uh, the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Now, I don't know when that is, but whenever a child gets to the place where they understand sin, they understand the concept of good and evil. Remember Adam and Eve? When did they become accountable for their sins? When they ate of the tree of the what? Knowledge of good and evil. And I've been told this because of Adam and Eve. A good, you say, how do I know when my kid's ready to be saved? Well, a good, a good uh, way to know it is when they start being embarrassed of their nakedness. Remember, what was the first thing Adam and Eve did after they ate of the tree? They saw that they were naked and they covered up. God comes down and He says, who told you you were naked? You know, you, you have, I, I know how to have kids. They come out of the bath and they're running around, you know, bottom naked. <laughs> and they're running around, they got no shame. Because they don't understand the concept. You start having a child that says, I don't, I don't want to get, you know, where am I, you know, open the door, mommy, get in my clothes, I don't want people to see me. Then you start realizing they're getting to that age of accountability. But let me tell you something. Kids that die, they go to heaven. Let me prove it to you one, another way. Go to 2 Samuel real quickly. 2 Samuel. Today there's prominent teachers who will say, well, no, children die. And these Calvinists will teach, well, children, when the children die, they, you know, um, what's his face? Harold Camping. May I have the next call, please? You don't know what I'm talking about. Praise God, you don't know what I'm talking about. Like, uh, Harold Camping, do children go to, go to hell? Well, they're a sinner. You know, whatever. I think he's a robot, personally. But uh, uh, Where are you? 2 Samuel 12, 2 Samuel 12, 23? The Bible says, don't listen to Harold Camping, by the way. He's not saved. He's a false prophet. If you don't like me saying that, then you need to read your Bible. 
Second uh, Samuel, chapter 12, look at verse uh, 23. Remember King David committed adultery with Bathsheba? And God had their son die because of it. And King David says, in verse 23 it says, But now he is dead. He's talking about his child. He says, Wherefore should I pass? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Do you see that? So when David's baby died, he said, Well, there's no point of me fasting anymore. He's already dead. God's not going to spare his life. But he said, You know what? I have this assurance that one day I will go to him. One day I will see him. One day I'll... Why? Because he knew that baby's in heaven with God. And when David goes, you think David went to heaven? Well, I promise you he went to heaven. I mean, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ will reign in the millennium in, on the throne of David. And David said, you know what? That's a great verse. Somebody has a child that died. Say, well, I can't, he can't come to me, but I, I can one day go to him. Children don't, there, there is an age of accountability. I want you to understand that. I said, number one, this passage pictures our sin. Number two, this passage pictures our Savior. Number three, this passage pictures our sinful state. Go back to Exodus chapter 30. Look at verse 15 real quickly. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 15. This passage also pictures our salvation. This passage also pictures our salvation. Exodus chapter 30, look at verse 15. Exodus chapter number 30 and verse 15. The Bible says, The rich shall not give more. And the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when they gave an offering unto the Lord to make atonement for your souls. You see that? They gave the half a shekel to, gave a, to give atonement for their soul. Now, here's what you're going to understand. There was an offering in the Bible called the uh, tithe, or the tenth part offering, or the first fruits offering, where they were to give a percentage of what they made. Now that was different. Guess what? The rich person gave more than the poor person. Because it was a percentage. Not everybody gave the same percentage. That's why it was fair. Because if I made, you know, $1,000, 10% of that is $100. If I make $100, 10% of that is $10. So we give different amounts where we give the same, we're sacrificing the same because it's the same percentage. Does that make sense? And that's fair. And God does that. But when it comes to picturing salvation, God said, I don't care if you're rich. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care if it's hard for you to get a half a shekel or if it's very easy for you to get a half a shekel. He says, when it comes to the atonement of your soul, here's what I'm asking for. And here's what he says. Everyone pays the same. Go with me real quickly to Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter 3. You say, how does that picture our salvation? Well, we looked at these passages uh, this, uh, just on, on Sunday, but the, I love these passages, so let's look at them again. Galatians chapter number 3. Look at verse number 28. See, everybody pays the same. Nobody pays more, nobody pays less. No, you don't have to pay less because you're good and, and so-and-so because they're bad. The Bible says, are you there in Galatians chapter 3? Look at verse 28. I love these verses. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Did you know what he's saying? He's saying, I don't care if you're rich, I don't care if you're poor, you all need the same thing, and that's Jesus Christ. People say, well, I'm a Greek, you need Jesus. Well, I'm a Jew, you need Jesus. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in bond, I'm a slave, you need Jesus. Well, I'm free, I have liberty, you need Jesus. I'm a male, Jesus, what you need? I'm a female. Jesus, everybody needs the same thing. Amen. Jesus Christ. Say, what's the hope for America? Jesus Christ. What's the hope for our nation? Jesus Christ. What's the hope for... It doesn't matter who you're asking. It's Jesus Christ. People say, Pastor, I need... You know, they, they, they come to our church and say, I need counseling with my marriage. So the first thing I need to talk about is, do you, okay, let's, let's have some marital counseling. Let's sit down. Do you know for sure if you die today you go to heaven? What? Huh? 
pastor, I need some counseling with my, with my kids. Or I'm a first-time visitor and I've got these kids, they're rowdy. I need some counseling. Okay, let's sit down. Do you know if you die today, you go to heaven? Amen, hey, I need help with my finances and I don't know what I'm doing with my finances. Can we sit down and talk about it? Sure, let's sit down. If you die today, when you go, you say, why do you ask everybody the same question? Because everybody needs the same thing. Jesus Christ. That's what we need. Salvation. The Savior. I can't help you with your marriage so you're saved, my friend. I can't help you with your finances. Some of you I can't help with your finances being saved. Good night. You need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit. You need God. You need the Bible. You need the Word of God. You need the preaching of the Word of God. Go, you're there in Galatians. Go to Colossians real quickly. Pass the book of Ephesians. Pass the book of Philippians. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse number 11. Real quickly. Colossians chapter number 3. Look at verse 11. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. What do you need? Jesus Christ. I'm sorry about depression. I need to sit down and talk to a counselor. No, you need Jesus Christ. You just need to fall in love with Jesus Christ. You just need to get in your Bible and realize that Jesus loves you. Amen. That's what you need. And look, I'm all for talking and I'm all for going out to Starbucks and all that, but you know what you need is God. What you need is the Word of God. What you need is the preaching of the Word of God. Everyone wants to talk about their problems. You need to just get right with God. That's what you need. Jesus Christ. This pastor's pictures are salvation. Number five, and I'm done. Go, go back to Exodus 30 real quickly, and we'll, we'll look at this real quickly and we'll be done. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. I said, number one, this passage pictures our sin. Number two, this passage pictures our, our Savior. Number three, this passage pictures our sinful state. Number four, this passage pictures our salvation. Number five, I'd like you to see, in conclusion, this passage pictures our service. Are you there in Exodus chapter 30? Look at verse 16 real quickly. Exodus chapter 30, and verse number 16, the Bible says, And thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shalt appoint it for the, notice what it says, service of the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? The house of God. It was for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your sins. This passage pictures our service in God's house. They served in God's house. They served the congregation. Just real quickly, I'll show you one passage. It's a very well-known passage. We go to it often around here because I love it so much. Romans chapter number 12. And we're done. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Say, Pastor, I'm saved. What am I supposed to do? Serve. I'm saved. What am I supposed to do? Get involved. Get serving. That's what you're here for. If you got all this time to gossip about everything, you know why you got so much time to gossip? Because you're not serving. That's why. If you'd be out soul winning, knocking on people, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, so, I'm so busy. Uh, Brother Ron calls me and says, Pastor, are we going soul winning? Well, we're playing of it, but I guess let's go. Brother Vincent, we're going so many pastor. Well, I'm in the middle of dinner, but okay, let's go. <laughs> are we doing this? Are we going there? Are we going there? And when I'm not going, my wife and I are, you know, tagging each other out because then she's got all. And I praise God for it. But you know what? I don't have time to talk about you. You know why? I'm busy <laughs> serving people, loving people, writing sermons, preaching the Bible. Hey, we ought to get serving. We ought to get loving people and getting involved and getting ready and getting. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Amen. Pastor, my, my friends say I'm in a cult. That's normal. <laughs> First time someone told me, you're a cult leader at that. Man, praise God. 
<laughs> Every church I ever went to, people say we're in a cult. You're in a cult because you love the Bible? Hey, if that's what it means to be in a cult, then praise God. You're brainwashed. Yeah, the renewing of your mind. Get to serving. You're brainwashed. Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Let me tell you something. Get to serving. Look, I thank God, if you come here and all you do is sit, I thank God. But we can all serve. We can all do something. And, I, and, and almost everybody here does. And I'm not, you know... I mean, people... Good night. All the work that goes around here. People clean. People work uh, on, the, on the van. Brother Hudson was working on the van just earlier this week. Uh, earlier today. Man, praise God for that. You know, people are doing this. People are cleaning. People are bringing uh, donuts and stuff. Good night. I asked, I asked uh, Ms. Blanca and Brother Sergio if they could bring donuts. And they, they bring a whole... You know, I feel like I'm at a... You know, continental breakfast. Good night. <laughs> Go work at a hotel somewhere. <laughs> hey, praise God for it. Let's serve. Now look, sometimes there are certain situations where we can't serve. But you know where everybody can serve? Spreading the gospel. Amen. No, wherever you say, well, I can't, I can't go so many because of this or because of that. Well, well, when you're out and about, you can hand out invitations. And you know, maybe, maybe, maybe during soul winning time, you guys know when we're out soul winning. Maybe you say, I, I can't go soul winning, but you know what you can do is be praying for us while we're soul winning. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Hey, wouldn't it be great if us, uh, if us men were out soul winning from 10 to 12 on Saturday afternoon and there was a few ladies on their knees just praying that people would get saved? Hey, wouldn't it be great if one of the ladies are soul winning at five? Some of these, some of these men, you know, instead of just laying on the couch, we'd get on our knees and we start praying and saying, "God, will you use those ladies?" See, we can all serve. Hey, we need every prayer warrior we can get. But there's something we can all do. This passage pictures our service. We've got to understand that the best thing we could do with our lives is serve God. Inspire our heads and have a word of prayer. Dearly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. And Lord, I do thank you that we have a church that does serve. It's very apparent to me. I didn't badmouth that pastor and I didn't discourage him and I didn't say, but when that pastor said to me, Man, we've had 50 saved this year. That's amazing. And their church is averaging 200. I think to myself, our church is averaging less than 50, and we have more saved than that. Uh, and, I, and I'm not saying that with a bad attitude. I didn't mention that to him. I, I said to that man, praise God, 50 people are got saved. But what that tells me is we've got some people around here that are serving. And I thank you for it. But Father, we can always do more. We can always get more right with God. Sometimes people mock us and say, you're, too, you're just too radical. You can be a Baptist and still do this and still do that. Yeah, but can, can anybody be too radical? Can anybody be too sold out? Can you be too sold out to Jesus Christ? I don't think so. I pray you'd help all of us not to hold each other back, but to push each other on, to encourage each other to do more. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Thank you for those who make up this church. We love you in your precious name, I pray. Amen.